welcome to Tales, Tunes, and Tom Fullery, starring Jerry Springer, along with Gene Galvin and me. I'm Megan Hills. We're recorded live in front of a brilliant studio audience at the Folk School Coffee Parlor in Ludlow, Kentucky. My daddy came home. And here he is, Jerry Springer. Please, don't get up. Don't get up. Please. Please. Oh, just. So anyway, as we're recording this today, yes. uh, we're getting ready for Halloween. We are. Okay, so whenever you hear this, I'm going up to Chicago to get my grandson, and we're, we're going to go trick-or-treating. Yeah. And we've worked it out, uh, because when he, you know, we'll go drive through the neighborhood, and the people have agreed that they'll come out to the limo, he'll roll the window down. And <laughs> Unbelievable. And they'll hand the candy through the that's window. Good. That's good for kids. It builds yeah, that's, It sure it, does. It does. Yeah. And that, those will be his memories. Uh-huh. Yes, his he'll, memories. His he, memories will be that sound. <laughs> uh, yeah, what yeah. Days, as the window a goes down. out there. Yeah. That gets, yeah, dear Lord, you ruined him. You'd only you have to, <laughs> he'd only have to wear a costume on his arm as or he reaches out to take the candy. Yeah, we just have that. Yeah. Hey, have you ever, and by the way, we're in a, momentarily we're going yes. to turn our attention to something that's really kind of special and totally cool, cool and that is an, yeah. an evening with Gurf Morlux. Gurf Morlux from Austin, Texas and you're going to hear a lot about him if you don't already know about him but he's kind of an Americana legend, instrumentalist, writer, songwriter, singer and producer for some, producer. some pretty yeah. major people. So he's got a lot of stories about a lot of stuff having to do with the music industry and a whole career in it so we're looking forward to that. But I did want to ask you, well, I wanted to ask you a couple things, Jerry, if and I could. Was, Number one. Is this a test? And, yeah. and Megan, I know you're going to agree with this because you have some uh, relatives who are older who mm-hmm. have, they don't have perfect hearing anymore. No. And Jerry is known for doing these hearing aid jokes. He thinks it's funny to make fun of people who are audi- audio challenged. Challenged, yeah. yeah. I, but I, I wouldn't make fun of it. It's just, in fact, there's a, gen- there's a gentleman... Oh, see. Oh, the, 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 there's here. a lovely lady here. No, she's show, just showed me her hearing aid. Well, there you go. Yeah. On and her I behalf, please, let's don't make fun of yeah. people who yeah. wear. I would make better fun, than but that. in fact, in fact, you're the one. She's the one, right? You'll you'll vouch for it. When she came in just before before yes. we started, she said, "This is the finest hearing aid money can buy." Really? Oh my God! And I said, "Yeah, what kind is it?" And she said, four o'clock." I hate you so much. <laughs> Didn't you? you I personally that's think now you're, for, now you're part that of the was act. So bad. That, I think that's disrespectful. I'm going to tell you why I think it's personally disrespectful. It's Jerry. awful. It's but just yes, a bad I have joke. two older brothers. Yes. Sir. God bless them. In yeah. their later years, have yeah. trouble hearing. They don't hear as well I, as they that, used yeah, to hear. Yeah. And just the other day, I was walking with my brother Jim and my brother Jerry, and we were over in a neighborhood in Cincinnati called Over the Rhine. We were headed yeah. over to a, a bar called Lachey's. Mm-hmm. Yes. Oh, it's we've Nick been there. Lachey oh, yes. and Drew Lachey yeah. on yeah, it. Yeah, we've been there. And we were walking over there, and my one brother turned to the other, and he said, Windy, isn't it? And my other brother said, No, it's Thursday. And then the first brother said, Me too, let's get a beer. <laughs> so I'm telling you. Yeah. This strikes joke. me. That is yeah. a joke. Good yeah. job, Gene. Oh, well, fine. <laughs> you didn't laugh when... Hey, out there, they're saying... See, his head structure. Door. Yeah. That's my nickname, by <laughs> the way. So, what's your nickname? My nickname's Screen Door, and yeah. hers is Happy and Heels. Happy and Heels. Yeah. So we call her Heels. Yeah. yeah. Oh, wait a minute. Actually, that's probably <laughs> not good to call either? you Heels, is it? No. 
Oh, so yeah. I apologize. We got to <laughs> talk about HR, that. HR. Yeah. yeah, HR. What's your nickname? Uh, money. Money. Okay, that's fair. Money. No. So anyway, <laughs> no. speaking of HR. Yes. Because I'm trying to imagine this. People don't know this. People think you are uh, the owner, let's say, of the Jerry Springer show. The fact is, and it's oh, no, not embarrassing, you work for a company. Yes. You're highly paid. I'd like I work, to know, yeah, I work for NBC. If Universal. you don't mind yes. telling us, it's yes. probably a figure you're generally aware of, but what was your taxable income last year? <laughs> <laughs> Testing one, two, one, two. <laughs> Testing, so is anyway. this thing on? The net yeah. number. We're just yeah. looking for the net number. Yeah. No. Have you ever had to go to, because I know the jobs I've had, because I've yes. worked for the Ludlow Transit Company and other yeah. places, and I've had to go, <laughs> I finally just I had to, go to HR oh, meetings. Oh, we have to, every year I have to go. Not just me, everyone has to go. You go into a room with an HR person? Well, actually, they, she comes into my room. To his yeah, office. You, you make her come to your, you're like Donald Trump. Yeah. They got to come to the yeah. Springer Tower. No, yeah. they, she comes, in fact, I think it's going to be next week, but oh she comes God, into every year. Woman. She's an attorney. Well, she's an HR, yeah. and she comes into the office. Yeah, and then, you know, she goes through the drill of, uh, you know, what's appropriate and mm. what's not appropriate. What I don't understand is, you know, <laughs> Megan, God love her, that this is what you do. This is your This is what I do. Well, she fires job. people. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. people. We you have yearly fires. conversations. Yeah. Yeah. But imagine, and this is a podcast, so you can't see it. But imagine you go into an HR meeting. You're some guy. You go in HR, and the one who's questioning you <laughs> is about, Megan. Is Megan? <laughs> yeah, unbelievable. If they knew what we knew, you know yeah. what I'm saying? It'd be like you got to be kidding. What me. do you say? Because you uh, can't, you can't smile at the wrong time. You can't be. Uh, <laughs> yeah, you, know, you could just gotta stare at her. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. There, man. yeah. but normal. Well, actually, with her outside the room, there's someone there that says, "Remember, she has blue eyes." Blue eyes. Yeah, blue <laughs> eyes. So a guy can answer. <laughs> and by the way, I myself have had trouble because I've also gone to those meetings yeah. and, and I was joking about having a hearing problem of my relatives, but I've got a little bit of that. Had some physical things, issues, and because I remember going the other day to Aglamisi's, an ice cream shop Ooh, I love over in Oakley yeah. in a neighborhood in We're Cincinnati. We're going to get to you, I swear. We're coming. <laughs> yeah. And, I, and I, I go in there and I pull myself up onto the stool on the counter yeah. and I finally get up there and it was quite a, a struggle and i said i'll have a banana split and and then she said crush nuts and i said no arthritis i've got it in my back <laughs> and my leg my arms once again that's a joke <laughs> yeah here's what's not fair he gets this joke book and he Joe does Buck, prep no, Jerry. For the it's show. called it's Jerry. You have a podcast to prep it's called the yeah. internets it's yeah, the internet. Yeah, yeah, that's what it is. Yeah. 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 <laughs> the interweb, one. yeah. Hey. So anyway. <laughs> tonight. Here for a reason. We have, you know what, Gurf Morlix from Austin, Texas. But you know, Gurf may be the best way we'd like to start. Sing us a song, please. And then we're going to have some conversation with you here yeah. some more. But start us off, please, with a song, would you? Okay. I grew up just outside of Buffalo, New York. Just south oh. of Buffalo and. uh Man, it was like another century back then. Yeah, it was, when, uh, yeah. how'd you get out? Uh, <laughs> I just, I couldn't take it anymore. I yeah. just finally had to go. But No, it's a nice place. The city of Lackawanna is where I was born. It's just south of Buffalo, and yeah. right on the shore of Lake Erie there. And I, li I grew up like 10 miles south of Lackawanna, and uh, Lackawanna had the Bethlehem steel plant. And that thing was belching out smoke like you would not believe. The air in Lackawanna was 
orange with black soot particles floating in it, and it stunk. It was horrible, and, and there was a row of houses across, right across from the steel plant. They were coated with this orange and black soot. You couldn't tell what color they were. You couldn't tell what color the cars in the driveways were. And those people's lungs were coated with it. I know, and that's the bad part about it. But, and this is sheer coincidence. This past weekend, I was in Bethlehem, Pennsylvania, and they had the Bethlehem Steel Factory right. there, which is now almost it's a museum Yeah. because all the jobs are lost. And honestly, I, you, know, you drive there, and all of a sudden you see these huge, I mean, they're like 20 stories high. Yeah, they're gigantic. It's unbelievable. Yeah. I, honestly, I was blown away by it, but, it was, but you're right. The negative is those poor people that had to yeah, breathe it, that stuff. Their, their lungs were coated yeah. with that stuff. Yeah. And, uh, and so, and so uh, you got out. So I got out, and uh, the steel plant closed down in, I think, about 1970 or 71. And the yeah. air is fine there, and Buffalo is having a resurgence. They're actually yep. doing really well. should point that out. Um, but it was really rugged back then. And uh, so I wrote this song, Dirty Old Buffalo. It's, a, it's on my new album, and... Uh, uh, and I remember we used to we only go, we'd only go into the city like once a year for like a doctor's appointment or something, and my mom would put her white gloves on, and not because she was trying to be stylish, she was afraid to touch anything in that filthy city. Oh. So, so I wrote this song called "Dirty Old Buffalo." Okay. We'd pile in the car in our best clothes. In the back seat, Dad would drive. We'd breathe in the stink all the way to the city, 15 miles up Route 5, over Father Baker's, over the Skyway, past the steel plant. We'd go once a year. Are rugged, the air was orange, mom was quiet, you could smell her fear. Dirty old buffalo, dirty old buffalo, smoky memories, they haunt my mind. The South Park Bridge. Kicks without a clue. Couple of kids out of their element, hoping five dollars see them through. Waiting in an alley of blue shadows for a fat man. Bar on Hurdle 
1970 They were scuffling Living on speed Singing the blues Seems there was a problem With the money Imagine that And there was a need To settle the score Road manager Stuck Eliota Dirty old buffalo, dirty old buffalo, smoky memories, they haunt my mind. Dirty old buffalo, dirty old buffalo, Rust Belt City. Gerf Morlex is as good as advertised, and we're so happy you've come by here. In fact, let's give people some perspective. You're from uh, Austin, Texas. Yeah, lived there most of my life. You, you just established you grew up in Buffalo, and then you went to Austin. How did that come about, and when did it happen? Well, I needed to get out of Buffalo. It was too cold for me. I just, you know, I, I like 95 degrees, and yep. I'm, I'm cold at anything under 78, so I had to go somewhere, and uh, and I was running out of opportunities there, and I kind of asked around. At one point, uh, I had this friend that I was hanging out with, and he asked Commander Cody. He said, where should we go? We want to play country music and rock and roll. Commander Cody said, Austin or Boston? And wow. Boston was cold. So we went to Austin, just showed up unannounced. And Now, do and you it, have to get airlifted? Because you have to go through Texas, and that could be difficult. So you were airlifted into Austin because it's like an oasis they in the middle of They should build a Texas. bridge, you know? Yeah. 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 It's, it's a really special place. Kind of like place. going through the Autobahn when they had uh, East Germany. 
you know, yeah. to get to West Berlin, you had to go through. It's kind of like yeah. that, you know. I, so you're from Texas. Well, welcome to our country. It's great <laughs> to have you. Here. I love Austin. It's a great music community, it and it's it a is. great restaurant town. A, oh, it's a great city. It really is. Yeah, it's Fun it's really great. And as, it was the best thing I could have done at that point. It was it was really good. How old were you when you made that movie? Twenty four. Yeah. And had you been doing music? Yeah, I mean, I was I started playing professionally when I was like thirteen or something. 14, really? Yeah. So. So I'd, Were I'd, there musicians in your family? No, not really. How, so how did that start? Uh, well, you know, I kind of, from the time I saw Ed Sullivan uh, with Elvis Presley, yeah. saw him up there doing that, and I yeah. thought, oh, that's what I want to do. Yeah. And yeah. then it turns out that I had some musical talent, and, and, in, and then, the, yeah. you know, the Beatles came on Ed Sullivan, and, and the whole that world changed. That, yeah. that was a revolution overnight. Well, Elvis, they couldn't show below the waist. <laughs> no. Remember that? Yeah. yeah. And then, but then when the Beatles came, they showed everything. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah. So you went from the Beatles to what you do now? Yeah, that's, that's where it started. And yeah. the, but then when I went to Texas, I wanted to play with people who were writing their own songs. And I immediately fell in with some really great songwriters. It's a, there's a whole world down there of songwriters yeah. that, that people around the rest of the country don't quite understand sometimes. Has it always been like that? I mean, I know Austin now has just got that amazing reputation, but has it, it's always been that way. Yeah, you know, the, the music scene in Austin really kind of started in the 60s. It. it was kind of psychedelia and, and yeah. that stuff, but the songwriting thing kind of took over in the 70s, and that's right when I showed up, and, and Willie Nelson had just moved there from Nashville. And, mm -hmm. Oh, what and a cool time to be there. United the, oh. the yeah. hippies and the rednecks. And in the middle of It was, it was a great time. <laughs> Fantastic. You produce, and you've produced uh, Lucinda Williams and uh, Blaze Foley, maybe, yeah. in there as well. Yeah, and the, the, the list is really long. I've been doing that for a long time, and I look at the website, and I'm kind of flabbergasted, but it's just because I've been doing it so long. Yep. How does one become a producer? You obviously have the talent for the writing. It's, it's poetry. But then at what point do you say, I'll produce? I mean, how did you know what to do that first day? You know, from the time I was in bands... Uh, when I was a teenager, I was the guy who knew how to move a microphone around, and you know, if there was a tape recorder, I could oh, I could okay. figure out how to make it sound as as good yeah. as it could, and uh, it was just common sense to me. And then uh, you know, and I started playing with Lucinda Williams, and uh, we were just kind of kicking around. We were in Los Angeles at the time, and and playing these gigs, making like eight dollars a night, and I was trying yeah. to figure out a way to quit <laughs> nicely. And uh, yeah. and she called me up one day, and she said. Somebody offered me a record deal. Who can we get to produce? I said, well, I'll do it. And then I just kind yeah. of slowly pulled my foot out of my mouth and, <laughs> and did it. I've got to learn how yeah. to do this now. Yeah. yeah. But, but you did know how to do it. I, I mean, did know how to do you it. You were yeah. very successful at that. Did uh, uh, Wheels on a Gravel Road? I, I quit in the middle of making that record. I did the two before then. Okay, you did was two halfway through when I just kind of couldn't take it anymore. Well, tell, if you don't mind, before you do another song, I'm going to ask you to do a, a bunch of songs here. Tell us uh, how, how, what happened, the, the quitting uh, in the middle of, uh, of her third, the third album that you were going to do. Yeah. And isn't it true that... No. <laughs> yeah, no. <laughs> All of a sudden, this is 60 minutes. I know, yeah. right. Why is that bright light swinging into my eyes? Yeah, yeah. Well, let's bring her on in. Yeah. Here, Lucinda, come on in. Yeah. Put down that chair. Yeah, right. Hey, now I feel at home. Yeah. Well, you know, she's a great songwriter. Um, and, and I always thought that the, the songs were worth any kind of stuff that I had to put up with to to perform those great songs and make those great records. Um, but I have since found that you don't have to feel bad. You can find people that 
that are really great songwriters that are nice and, and on an even keel. And so, so I just stepped away. The, the scales tipped and I couldn't stay. Okay, and it was, it was the best move I ever made after really? moving to Austin. You're an artist. So there's some part of you when you produce a record that um, the artist in you takes over. And yet, is there pressure to, it's got to be commercially viable. So do you ever find yourself compromising to, because an artist always wants to, this is, I'm, this is what I think, this is what I'm believing, this is my message, I want to do it this way. And then the image from those of us who are not in the business is always the producer comes in and says, wait, this is the way it's going to sell. I, I know they did that with Buddy Holly. Uh, and, and I just wonder whether you ever ran into that or that's just for movies. But I feel like I have a really good uh, take on what people will like to hear. And, you know, you have to start with a good song. And then sure. you have to have a performance. You have to have a vocal performance that puts it across. And beyond that, you just have to color it properly. But I, I always just, when I make a record, I'm making a record for the artist and for me. And then hopefully other people like it. But my sensibilities kind of lean towards people liking it, and so it's just worked out. Hey, do us another song, would you? Okay. Well, here's another song from the new record. And And by the way, the new record is Eating at Me. The new record is called Eating at Me. Yeah, there's a lot of stuff eating at me. Yeah, yeah, okay. uh, This is called Blue Smoke. Those are some fine-looking boots. Exotic leather. Fancy stitching, neon colors. I hate to think how much you paid. You bought a vision of yourself in the mirror. You bought fashion, but fashion ain't real. The only parts of the boot that really matter are the soul. You got your top down, your high beams are on. I can almost hear your midnight moan. But there's blue smoke hanging in the air, and your pistons, they may be blown. We used to have Tell me everything that was on your mind. I live for your joy and your sorrow. All the passion we can find. Blood and truth and unpaved roads. Don't you remember how that feels? Your gas gauge. Got your top down, your high beams are on. I can almost hear your midnight moan. But there's blue smoke hanging in the air, and your pistons, they may be blown. Mm-hmm. 
only call me when you're drinking sloppy emails at 3am you say you got something you just gotta tell me but you leave me hanging again and again I won't be part of your collection on display for all your friends to see I love you You got your top down, your high beams are on, I can almost hear your midnight moan, but there's blue smoke hanging in the air, and your pistons, I'll bet they're blown, and I hope you Make it home. Oh, you are good. Have you ever written? Have you ever written a song that is so personal? The first time you performed it, you actually had trouble getting through it. Like you just went through. Yeah. You just broke up with whatever you know, and then. Yeah. yeah. Well, I had a, I had a, I had these really good friends in Austin. Yeah. And uh, and they had the most amazing love affair of all time, and kind of a storybook romance. And yeah. they were more in love than anyone I've ever known. And they were married for twenty four years and together a bunch of years longer than that. And then suddenly one day there was an accident, oh. and uh, and one of them was gone. And you know, I didn't write the song till maybe six months later or something. It was pretty tragic. And the uh, guy was one of my best friends and, and a very well-known musician, a big, big music loss. And, uh, and I wrote this song when I just sat down to write a song, and I picked up the guitar, and that song just came flying out. And, uh, and I recorded it the next day, and then I called him up, and I said, man, I, I wrote a song for you. I don't think I can sing it for you. And he said, that's good. I don't think I could listen to it. Oh, yeah. And wow. so I, yeah. I emailed it to him like a few months later, and I don't know that he listened to it, but he came to one of my gigs like a year later. And I saw him come in, and I was up on stage, and, and I played it looking right at him, and I wasn't sure I'd get through it. But I got through it, and he got through it. Oh, God, what a story. Yeah, yeah. it was pretty rough. And then he just died. Sorry. So, yeah. Hey, what's the process of generally of your songs? How, where the, where do the songs <clears throat> come from? Obviously, personal yeah. feelings, experiences. There's an example, but how do they come about? What's the typical I, pattern I for? Don't it? really know. You know, some, I'm looking for something to trigger something. You know, it, it yeah. could be a phrase or a piece of overheard conversation or something, or, or just a feeling. There's there's no real method to it you know once in a while one of those comes floating by and, and it just it just sort of shows up unannounced and you just have to reach up and grab it you know there's there's, there's but those are really rare and then i've of course i've learned um once you get the idea and you get down you hammer it into the shape of a song there, there's uh it's certainly 
encouraged to uh, edit and work on it. And I've, I've got songs that I've been working on for five years, and they're not ready yet, you know, and it might just be one line. But that's something that I learned from all the great songwriters I've worked with. So does it ever become routine for you? Has there ever been a moment when you sit down, you're like, oh, we're doing this again? But it, or is it always... No, I mean, I, you know, I tend to fall into patterns, and I have yeah. to watch out for that. Yeah, yeah, I would imagine so. Just I, think, for I think everybody does How that. often yeah, do you write? I try to write something every night. Really? Uh, I stay up late. My filters go down yeah. after midnight, you know, and I'm up, up, up till three or something, and I and pick up my guitar, yeah. and I just peck around and see if anything shows up, and it doesn't always, but uh, I try almost every night. I don't know if you drink. But if you, if you do, no, actually, this is a serious. Well, as it happens, you do, you, yeah. It, you're from Austin, so obviously you drink. So anyway, uh, no. But it, do you ever like write? Have you ever been not blasted out? But I mean, just wow! Now I'm feeling it. Well, or yeah, stoned. You know, it, it or used stoned. to. Yeah. It used to be the case. You know, twenty twenty five years ago it was the case that that I couldn't come up with anything if I'd had a beer or two. Yeah, uh, and then something something happened, and now it's kind of this drunken poet thing. If it, uh, that's when the filters go way down, <laughs> yeah. When I've had just the yeah. right amount, you know, and, and sometimes I'm getting somewhere, and it's like, oh, okay, one more drink, I'll stay up for one more hour, and because because I'm on a roll here, so it definitely happens. You have an album now that you're that you've come out with. Why don't you talk to us about that and play one of the songs for me? Yeah, well, it's it's eating at me, and there's a yeah. man. There's a bunch of stuff eating at me, and yeah. uh, uh, we got a lot of problems, and, and that we're not addressing. You know, <laughs> it's in our nature, yeah, to not do anything about it until it's almost broken beyond repair. You and I were talking just before we started this particular podcast, and, and just the notion came across in the conversation that we have to a certain extent, the same constituency. In other words, some of your songs that I've listened to, it could be my show put to music. Yeah. All the craziness, you have people that are outside of the norm, They're, they have many of them desperate lives, and we're indifferent, not that I'm anywhere near your talent, uh, but, but we're in the entertainment business, yeah. and then when the show's over or your song is over, they still go back to their lives. Right. And so I guess the tough question we always have to face is after we've expressed or shown what these people are doing, what happens to them? And what yeah. is politics the next step? Is that? Yeah, you know, I don't know. Um, yeah. I know that all I'm interested in, in is making some sort of personal connection with everybody in the room. People. That's the goal, yeah. you know. And, uh, and there's, man, there's a lot of people out there who you aren't like getting the, what they need. And you like the people you write about. Yeah. Yeah. And, and they need to be liked. And, exactly. Uh, and, I mean, it tends to be about either the down and out or the dispossessed or, or friends of mine that have died. It's kind of, I, you know, I can't write a song about a puppy dog or a sunrise, you know. It's like, just can't do that somehow. Well, they say art, certainly music, comedy, really comes out of someone's pain. Yeah, yeah oh, it's, absolutely. It's it's the angry people that become the best comics. Yeah. You know. So I went to a funeral a couple of weeks ago. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it, was a, it was a guy I knew, but it, he was just an acquaintance. And uh, and I felt like I should go. I felt like I knew him well enough to go, but not a great friend. And, and the funeral was kind of going on and on. And at one point I took the funeral director aside and I said, what's the Wi-Fi password here? 
<laughs> and he said, have some respect for the dead. <laughs> I said, is that all lowercase? Yeah. <laughs> yeah he's, Take oh, notes, oh, Mr. Springer. Oh, oh, yeah. Okay. Is he gets, although if he gets case. more laughs than we do, it's kind of annoying. But yeah. yeah. yeah Gene, Gene you opened the floodgate for that. So. This is Gurf Morlicks um, doing songs from his latest album, uh, Eating at Me. Well, l let me do a new one here. Yeah, this, is good. A, this is a brand new song. It, it, it came right after I kind of finished uh, the record and sent it off to manufacture. And this, this song showed up one night. I played it at night. And, uh, it's a good way to think of it. A song just up, showed up. Yeah. Picked up the guitar and I strummed this chord. And it's a chord that I don't usually strum. Um, it's, it's that chord. And that's a chord what? that I usually only strum if I'm like making fun of John Denver or somebody <laughs> and uh, Barry Manilow, I don't know. Yeah, right. But I strummed it and all of a sudden this song came flying out so uh, I was pretty happy with it. So uh, I'll play you this one. Ain't none of us are noble. We live tawdry little lives. We're animals roaming the land. We might be stardust but that don't make us special and we gotta do the best we can it seems to me we get it wrong more than we get it right we're human beings after all it's in our nature to think we own the earth bound to try and bound to fall the best of us are barely getting by the rest of us don't get what we need all the promises that were made to us now we know nothing can be guaranteed Heading for the same place Trying to make it through one more day Some fuel, some water, some luck and some love And a little common sense would help us on our way The best of us are barely getting by The rest of us, we are the weeds promises that were made to us now we know nothing can be guaranteed and none of us are noble we live tawdry little lives we're animals roaming the land we might be made of stardust that don't make us special and we gotta do the best we can let's try to do the best we can nice <clears throat> yeah i mean that that's got I, I was sitting here listening to that thinking like 
sitting in some place in New York City, a jazzy. It's got a kind of a jazzy yeah, I don't know how that happened, vibe but to it. It's very cool. I'm pretty happy. Yeah, yeah. Gurf Morlick's uh, leading us in Irene Goodnight by Lead Belly. Okay. What a great song. Yeah. Yep. You've been listening to Tales, Tunes, and Tom Fullery, recorded live at the Folk School Coffee Parlor in Ludlow, Kentucky. Thanks to Patrick Kennedy for writing our opening song and to you for listening. Check out our website at jerryspringer.com. Now me and my wife have parted. I think I'll take a little stroll downtown. Good night, Irene.